climate change, it's here, it's now. Um, it's already affecting communities all around the world. It's affecting you and it's affecting me. And it's really shaping, reshaping our civilization. All right. Well, welcome everyone to our podcast. My name is Manish Jassar. I'm a managing director with Accenture's Applied Intelligence Teams. I'm delighted today because I'm joined by my friend, Shaila Raghav, who is the head of partnerships at New Division of Time, focused on sustainability and climate change. Shaila, thank you so much for joining us and tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you, Manish, for having me. I'm, I'm delighted to have this conversation with you. Um, so I, as you mentioned, I currently work at Time, um, part of a new division called CO2, which is focused on creating a digital platform for small and medium-sized businesses to invest in climate action. Um, before that, I was at Conservation International, which is a nonprofit based in Washington, D.C., and I worked there for about a decade. Um, really drawing attention to the fact that we can't solve climate change without nature. Um, prior to that, um, I was also involved in the uh, historic Paris Climate Agreement. So I served as a climate negotiator, supporting a number of country delegations on their positioning um, with the international agreement. I've also worked at the World Bank, the United Nations prior to that. So I'm really, really delighted to be talking about how to take uh, climate action into this new space of tech and innovation. Wonderful. Well, such an impressive background. I'm, I'm very thankful that you've given us some time and energy to speak about this important topic. Thank you for joining us. Shaila, let's, di let's dive right into it. I think, you know, the first question that would be interesting to get your perspective on is, is why now? Why is now the right time for all of us to be thinking about sustainability, to be thinking about climate change? Yeah, so over my career, I think I've really been part of what I would say has almost been an awakening about climate change. You know, initially, there was really the sense that climate change was an issue of the future. Um, it was about preventing future harm and managing risks against, you know, other aspects of our society. And it almost felt distant in time and space. We were trying to prevent something bad from happening far into the future and mostly to people that we didn't know. And it was almost, you know, economic growth versus climate action. How much are we willing to give up to prevent future harm? But today, I think we've come to a different understanding and almost a different rea reality. Climate change, it's here. It's now. Um, it's already affecting communities all around the world. It's affecting you and it's affecting me. And it's really shaping, reshaping our civilization. I remember growing up here in, in California, my fear wouldn't be about drought or fire. It was about earthquakes. But now not a day passes that I'm not worried about water availability or even just the future uh, of our home here in California. And we're seeing an entire overhaul of our model of development. We're seeing an overhaul in our values. Change has become our new normal. And I think we realize that there's really no economy and there's no value on a dead planet. But on a planet without forests, without water, wildlife, clean air, safety. So it's not really a question of economy versus climate. There is no economy without climate action. And so with that really as the backdrop, with that really as our given, we can really begin to look at the space of artificial intelligence and climate change. How do we deploy the most powerful force at our disposal today, artificial intelligence, with this sense of urgency to address climate change? What we need to do is really make better decisions faster. And we need to find ways of achieving efficiencies, reducing waste of very precious limited resources, reduce our risks, reduce the causes of climate change, and to do so faster. And that's what I think artificial intelligence promises and offers is packaging, 
distilling and using vast amounts of data that we now have access to to inform those decisions. And if this information and if this data is fairly distributed, it can also help to democratize decision making and rebalance power by giving more people access to information. And so to me, that's really the power and the potential of what's before us with artificial intelligence. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's such a resonating, resonating point, right? Like as a as a father of young children, right? I think about what the planet's gonna be when, when they're kind of taking over. But I think your point, like this is a concern for every single human living on the planet, right? It's not for it's not for some folks who care. And it, and I think your point around the trade-off is a very good one, right? It's not about what we're trading off. It's about the fact that we've got to get this right in order for us to have a future, right? So it's, a, it's less of a choice in my mind and more of a requirement that we all start thinking about this and taking action on it. I think that's such a, such a good point. I really also like the intersection of AI to your point, right? I do think the emergence that we've seen in capability on the AI side has been tremendous. And we're already starting to see a lot of applications of AI in the climate change and sustainability space, right? Which I think is just very encouraging for folks like you and I. We're seeing technology being applied to send natural disaster alerts in Japan. We're monitoring deforestation in the Amazon with it. We're designing greener and smarter cities all over the world. So we're starting to see applications of AI to really help design a more energy efficient, more sustainable, more climate friendly planet. And I think that's a that's a very exciting time for all of us. So that, that's terrific. Shala, maybe I'll move on to kind of the second question and get your thoughts to start us off. What are some of the examples that you're seeing of applying AI to make a real impact in our climate change efforts? Yeah, so the, the way I've seen it is that AI has really been deployed for a few distinct capabilities or, or you know, types of decision making. So, you know, I mentioned about the distillation of large amounts of data and large amounts of information. So one of the, the you know, use cases that I've seen is that we see kind of almost this fragmentation or overlapping reporting on on climate action. So I mentioned that I've worked um, in the at the international level uh, with number of countries now setting targets to reduce their emissions, and they're all individually submitting reports to the United Nations on progress. And most of it's been self-reported. But even at, within countries, you see individual corporations setting net zero targets and submitting their own reports of emissions. And so one space where I've seen artificial intelligence be really powerful is as an accountability mechanism. Um, there's an initiative called Climate Trace, which was launched last year at the Glasgow Climate Talks, that is a partnership of hundreds of organizations that's deploying more than 300 satellites, more than 11,000 sensors, to do basically real-time emissions monitoring and tracking, and then cross-reference what is being observed from space in terms of emissions and all, all of the different types of capabilities to even track methane emissions, for example, uh, and then and then compare it against what has been reported on the part of companies or on the part of governments. And it can be a really powerful tool for increasing the precision uh, and the accuracy of those reports so that we actually have an accurate baseline of, of, of what's the state of play, but also can hold those actors accountable when they say that they've reduced emissions or they're saying that they're you know a green player in that space. So that's one area that I've seen this tremendous uh, importance and tremendous uh, applicability uh, of that technology. Yeah, I love that story. And I think your, your point around accountability is absolutely the right one, right? And I, as I think about it from our lens too, 
I think about accountability being a critical factor for us, right? Like, for example, I think about Accenture ourselves. And as you guys know, and some of our listeners might know, Accenture is a, a pretty large multi, multi-billion dollar organization, lots of different operations happening. And to achieve our own environmental commitments of reaching net zero by 2025, Accenture is on pace to reduce its emissions by powering offices with 100% renewable energy by 2023, making smarter climate-related travel decisions, being thoughtful about how we work with suppliers. And, you know, this is something that we're taking action on as well, right? Deeply embedded in COP26. For those of you who don't know, that's the decision-making body for UN climate change. We've got our leadership team participating in that. So I think leading by example and sharing that accountability, I think, is an absolutely an absolutely important point. And I'll also maybe share another story with you because uh, you talked about kind of making this economically viable as well, right? So we don't think about it as a, a trade-off. We think about it as a, as a win-win for all of us. One of the stories I think about is, is the work that we're doing with the city of Chicago uh, in helping them become a smart city. Uh, Chicago has over 450,000 buildings, right, with an average of, of 75 years uh, of age for residential buildings. That equates to about $3 billion in, in annual energy cost. And we've been working with Chicago, creating a detailed analytics-based database and analytic tools to help Chicago really become more energy efficient, conducting actual electricity and natural gas usage analytics, doing characteristics and demographics of how we might do that more efficiently, creating opportunities and efficient programs with them. And this program has identified like a, a series of, of, of programs that we could go launch with investments that are driving savings of about $170 million dollars. Uh, back for Chicago in the less less than seven years, or sorry, less than four years. And I, I share that story because that's an example of AI actually making moves in the smart city place, helping our progression there, but doing it in a way that's also economically viable for us, right? Actually creating $170 million of savings for the city of Chicago that we use to improve the city's overall functions while making it a more sustainable and climate-friendly city. And I think it's those kinds of initiatives that are really going to help us pick up the momentum and get economic leaders as well as climate leaders to support these kind of efforts to move them forward. I, I love that story, Manish, and especially because we're looking at a very complex system. So you look at what, what really what it takes to make a building efficient or an entire city sustainable. And you're 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 constantly looking at different different features. You're looking at transportation, you're looking at water efficiency, you're looking at efficiency. Um, so you, you basically have to look at a, a whole system and a number of different sectors and optimize against all, all of these potentially trade-offs or competing influences. And artificial intelligence can do that just at a at a different level that we could than we could if we're manually going in and trying to tweak or turn different dials. So I, I love that story and it, it has that that kind of direct economic advantage as well. I can also share another example, which is deforestation, which is a space I, I spent a lot of time working on um, when I was at Conservation International. So, you know, artificial intelligence has really been helpful in pinpointing using satellite imagery in real time monitoring, especially if there's illegal activity, for example. So where AI has been really helpful is not just looking at where there's trees and then where there are no trees. So you're looking at deforestation. Oftentimes at that point, it's too late. Once you've already, you know, detected a deforestation activity, it's actually more useful if you look at some of the precursors 
or you know some of the causes of deforestation or you look at correlations and one of that is, one such example is the construction of roads so you know that as soon as a road is built then the deforestation kind of just immediately springs out of that road it's almost like these sure. spokes so um so with with satellite imagery can really you know uh, put in place some regression models to be able to kind of detect before uh, where you're seeing those types of activities and where you might have a high risk of deforestation. And then um, there, you know, there can be some sort of enforcement or some sort of activity to go in and very quickly prevent that uh, deforestation from happening. And, and especially when it comes to illegal, illegal activity, you can kind of code areas that are supposed to be protected where there should be no encroachment. And then you kind of detect some some movement uh, or some activity in that space. So it, it can be a really important monitoring and enforcement tool, but then also what we've been able to do is provide local communities with access to that information so that they can be better stewards and, and be better, more aware of what's happening on their own land and in their own territory. The last thing that's really cool about what is being done in uh, forests is also the use of different types of sensors. So um, in some forests, we have acoustic sensors which can pick up different types of bird sound, insects, uh, animals, and that can be used as a proxy for, for um, assessing the richness of the biodiversity in that forest itself. Um, so finding easier ways, I mean, imagine having to send in a person to go count the number of birds or count the number of insects. And here you can actually just, uh, you know, skip a few steps and, and, and really um, uh, get information about the health of the forest just with one, uh, a new type of sensor. I love that. So creative. Such a such a out of the box way of thinking about how to solve that problem using AI. That's a that's a terrific story. And Shala, maybe one more. I just I can't risk. I have to share the story. So some of our listeners may not know. Shala and I both went to the University of California, Irvine. It's it's both of our undergrad schools. So I kind of thought like one of the great things we recently launched with UC Irvine is uh, Accenture and UC Irvine got into a partnership where we're helping helping build a predictive model that might help identify using satellite imagery, just like you talked about, identify areas in Southern California that have a higher risk of fire breakout, right? And, and that's a very cool concept because we're using geospatial analytics and satellite imagery to pinpoint areas that are drier than others, that have a higher fire risk than others, that may have power lines and other kind of things that are nearby creating fire risk and really helping kind of fire authorities and the state and the counties think about what they might want to do to prevent the fire from ever starting. Uh, and given just the risk of, of kind of wildfires that we've had in Southern California, I thought that was such a cool story for, for us to talk about together as well. Yeah, that's incredible. And you were also seeing AI being used to, to try to um, uh, uh, prioritize areas for controlled burns um, so that you look at areas that, that might, you know, uh, end up fueling fires and you can quickly eliminate some of that risk or find areas to, to prioritize for those types of activities. So that that's a really cool story and something that gives me hope for the sustainability of the Southern California region. Maybe yeah, one more absolutely. example um, yeah. on, on agriculture. Uh, so one of the areas that we've seen as having a lot of promise is the development of, or at least the, the monetization of carbon sequestration or storage uh, to be able to access carbon markets. Um, and to access carbon markets, you need to show that there's been some sort of climate mitigation benefits. So you, so if you're kind of shifting agricultural practices or even stopping deforestation, but that needs to be validated or verified. 
So artificial intelligence has been really helpful to try to accelerate the accounting of how much carbon is being stored um, in different ecosystems, but also uh, through different land use management practices. So that's one space where there's kind of a direct also economic or monetary advantage to deploying those technologies. Um, but then also you could use artificial intelligence for uh, crop monitoring, but also for yield prediction, um, because with the changing patterns of climate, whether it's precipitation or even just um, kind of seasonal activities or when crops are uh, going to be going to harvest, that is is ver quite variable in a changing climate. And so um, models have been used to more accurately predict um, uh, harvest cycles um, uh, and and when the best timing is for um, uh, for uh, cultivation and that's been a really useful type of technology especially in in developing countries where most communities are reliant on very climate sensitive sectors like agriculture for their livelihoods so precision agriculture is also another space where there's really a lot of potential a lot of promise for AI that's that's all wonderful to hear, right? And we think we think about kind of the, the solving the most important issues on the planet. I can't think of issues more important than finding a way to feed our growing human population, finding a way to sustain the natural resources that we all depend on, finding a way for all of us to have to clean water and, and prevent deforestation. These are some of the most compelling and interesting and important challenges for all of us to solve. And it's very encouraging to hear how leaders like yourself and how AI capabilities are really helping in that space. That's terrific. Shaila, I thought what we might kind of switch our focus on is kind of where we see that headed in the next five to 10 years, right? I would love to get your perspective on, you know, we've talked about all the wonderful applications that we're using AI for today. As you think about what's important for us to get right, what's important for us to prioritize over the next five to 10 years, we'd love to get your perspective on how you see that evolving. Yeah, well, maybe I can I can just introduce um, you know some some concerns that have been raised in the climate community about artificial intelligence. I think we can all acknowledge that there's a lot a lot of good that can be done if if deployed correctly and if if designed in the right way and if the right people have access to that information. But I think we also need to recognize that artificial intelligence is is really just a tool and it's a means to an end. And collectively, we need to uh, be aligned on what that end is. What are we trying to optimize and prioritize for? Is it for commercial value? Is it for economic growth? Or is it for more equitable, fair distribution of very limited natural resources? Is it about kind of uh, increasing our resilience to the impacts of climate change? Are we using these technologies to try to reduce our dependence on fossil fuels and deploy renewable energy? So I think that's really one of the most fundamental issues that needs to be resolved is, you know, it's, it's just not going to happen automatically that artificial intelligence will be used for good. It really needs to be established as a, as, as a, a right purpose from, from the outset. And one of the reasons I say that is because artificial intelligence requires a lot of computing power. And we know that, that, that there are emissions associated with all of the, the computational power that is needed to, to, to drive all of these algorithms, all of this analysis to hold all of that data. Um, and, and also, you know, artificial intelligence might create a future where we have a disincentive to address climate change. So I can give you an example, um, automation and, and automated driving, uh, autonomous driving um, might mm -hmm. actually reduce the barrier to get cars on the road, which means that we might end up with in a future where there's 
more cars on the road than less. And you and I both know, sitting here in Southern California, that we don't we don't want more cars on the road. And in fact, that's going to get us much further away from our climate goals. We actually need to be creating for smart cities, more public transit and more more public transportation solutions to be able to green our transportation sector. So that's one one example that if not regulated or if it's not considered, we actually might end up causing more harm in the long run. Um, and and then also just thinking about all of the the, the footprint um, of of the, the the computational power that's needed might actually uh, take us further away from our goals. The second thing I'll say um, that is a potential, um, you know, a, a pitfall or an area for us to, to consider is access and equity. So the incentives really are for commercial purpose of this information. And, and one of the things that we've seen is that data is really unequally distributed and there's often more capacity for gathering and processing information in geographies that are more industrialized. And so data is also more available in sectors where there's kind of incentives to collect it or incentives to process it, which is usually where there's a commercial purpose. And so as a result, we see more adoption of AI in kind of financial sectors, for example, and lower uptake in sectors like agriculture because there's fewer incentives and there's kind of a fewer, there's kind of not as much of a line of sight to to kind of profit or, or to kind of a commercial application. And that right. then leads to unequal distribution and bias in the algorithms that might not serve underrepresented communities or areas where there might be a dearth or less data available or an incentive to collect that information over time. So I think because of that, we really need to have good standards and good practices kind of surrounding our use of artificial intelligence, but also kind of an intentionality beyond in terms of bringing some of those communities in um, and distributing or, or, or putting in place the incentives for the public sector to also invest in, in public benefit use uh, cases of AI. Yeah, I mean, completely. I think you raised a lot of good points there. And as I kind of think about, from my perspective, the next five to 10 years in this space, Shaila, I think about kind of three key towers, right? I think about, first of all, from a capability perspective, I'm confident that the AI capability will continue to evolve over time, right? And to your point, right, we're going to have growth in data volumes, right, which means we're going to have more and more ability to detect patterns, to identify anomalies, to identify opportunities. We're going to have more and more capabilities with computer vision and geospatial analytics to really give us a, you know, a really a broad view of what's happening to our planet in a, in a more real-time way. All those things, we've got to find a way to do those in a more efficient way. So we're actually helping the, the net effect, not hurting the net effect. So I do think you'll see a capability evolution, which it will need to be paired by an efficiency in what it takes in terms of resources to run those computations, right? So I certainly think you'll see the capabilities evolve. I think your point around responsible AI is a very important point as well, right? Making sure that our algorithms don't have that, that bias and are actually objective and actually purposed uh, intentionally to help what we're seeking to achieve. So I think that responsible AI is going to, you're going to see a lot of growth in that over the next five to 10 years. It's already become, in my opinion, a C-level topic now. All clients that we're speaking with, even our own leadership, talks a lot about responsible and AI, making sure that we're kind of leading the charge in that way. And I think in the next five to 10 years, you're going to see responsible AI become a really important topic for all C-suite leaders in, in private and public organizations. The last part that I'll kind of share with you is, in my opinion, right, I think we're going to need to drive a significant push 
in educating our policymakers around what we need to do with climate change and how AI can help. Right? I still don't see AI's applicability as a, a national policy-making topic, right? If I think about kind of our recent political debates, presidential debates that we've gotten on, we're talking a lot about other topics, but I don't see us really talking about how we're applying AI in a responsible way to help the planet. So I do think educating our policy makers to kind of think about that in that context and think about how do we want to govern the application of AI in this space? What rules do we want to set up to make sure that it's applied in the best and positive way is something that we're going to need to see a lot of traction on the next five to 10 years. Maybe I'll ask you, are, are you seeing the education of our policymakers as a very important thing for us to get right in the next five to 10 years? Or would you characterize that any differently? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I think there's this whole field of upskilling is how do we increase literacy about the capabilities of AI? Because that will then allow us to have in place the right standards, a, a sense of what's a good practice, what's a bad practice, what are some of the kind of uh, potential inadvertent or unintended consequences. Um, and, and I think also um, it will be critical for how our government is deploying its research, innovation, and uh, R&D uh, funding to be able to, to putting the right terms or the right conditions around those resources so that they are, in fact, optimizing for climate impact and climate benefit. Um, and also just to really think about integrating environmental assessment into the regulation and strategies um, to better align the use of artificial intelligence with global climate pathways, but also environmental goals. I think these are really critical needs in the next five to 10 years. But I also just want to applaud Accenture's leadership in this space and for you know creating a platform for this really important conversation. Well, Shada, I want to wrap by just thanking you for a wonderful conversation, uh, as well as your leadership, time and energy in such an important topic that's uh, important to every single person on the planet. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, thank you to all of our listeners for listening. If you didn't have a chance to subscribe already, I suggest you do so. Thank you all. Speak soon. Thank, thank you, you, Manish. Shala.